with a few folks, and they said, no, I, I had the extra hour, but I didn't really get the extra hour of sleep. I uh, probably woke up at the same time, but uh, hey, it's still a great day to be together. The weather's beautiful outside, and we're delighted everybody's here. Hard to believe we're already in November, right? Um, seems like this year has just flown by. We've been focusing this year on a theme of humility, and we've done 10 lessons so far, uh, once a month, and now this is the 11th lesson in that series on humility, our theme, Less of Me in 2023. And, and so we're going to focus on, on that this morning. We've looked at this from many different angles, many different ways, but today I wanted us to think about the word surrender. That's the word I want us to, to focus on today, is the word surrender. Now, Christianity really is all about surrendering, right? And that's what we talk about when someone is baptized into Christ. Sometimes we say they gave their life to Christ or they surrendered their life to Christ. Certainly it happens in that moment. But it's also a daily thing to surrender our will for his will. To submit our desire, not, not give in to our desires, but to give in to what he desires for our lives. It's an everyday thing. And for us, we understand that most likely, that we are to surrender. But the other thing is that we love to have control. Human beings, it's just kind of how we are. We like to have control. We like to be in the driver's seat, if you will, to, to direct our lives and to, to have control of where things go. We like to be in, in control. In fact, I was, I was talking to uh, Ricky Butts and uh, Larry Duncan before we delivered uh, meals on Tuesday, and they were talking about stress tests I don't know anybody who likes stress tests, obviously, but uh, Ricky was, I think, having one or whatnot, and he was saying, I don't like the way those make me feel because they make me feel like I'm not in control. And it's, you know, the heart rate's elevated and feel like you're not in control. And, and that's just a small example, right? But we just, we like to be in control. We don't like when things are kind of out of our hands. That's just kind of how we, we are sometimes. And we may try to manipulate situations in our favor and whatnot, but the thing is, we must surrender to God. We have this battle going on then in, our, in ourselves that we know we need to surrender, but we also want control. We want to, to control things, but we, we have to surrender. We have to let things go and let God take control of our lives. Um, I don't know if we've sang this hymn here, but when we were in Montgomery uh, working at the university church for several years, we used to sing this psalm called Prince of Peace, Control My Will. And the, the first line of the song says, Prince of Peace, Control My Will, Bid This Struggling Heart Be Still. That's the first line of the song. That's a beautiful way to start the song, but the whole song is about letting the Prince of Peace that David talked about last week, Jesus, letting him control our will. We don't like to be still. We like to fight and we like to strive. We like, to, again, to be in control, but we just need to stop. And we need to let God take the reins. Let him get in the driver's seat and control our will. So this morning, that's what I want us to think about is surrendering. And that takes humility to, to say, you know what? I'm not in control. I'm giving it over to God. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. We're going to look at a, um, a passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 with Jehoshaphat. With just an amazing account here. Jehoshaphat was one of the actual good kings of Judah. There were a few good ones, and he was one of them. He wasn't perfect, 
but he was a good king. And we see probably the most positive thing about his reign happens in 2 Chronicles 20. Just an amazing display of faith on his part. So let's start in verse 1. Notice the threat that's upon Jehoshaphat and his kingdom. 2 Chronicles 20, starting in verse 1. Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Munites, came together to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. All right, so there's these foreign nations that are coming uh, upon Jehoshaphat, and they are, they're, their intent is to wage war. Now, we don't get why they want to wage war against Jehoshaphat. We just know that they do. All right, so it's the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Munites. Your text may say something different than the Munites. Uh, translators differ on exactly who's being referred there. Um, it may say something like others beside the Ammonites or may reiterate the Ammonites. Regardless, there are multiple peoples that have banded together, made this alliance, and they're coming to wage war against Jehoshaphat in Jerusalem. And so some people come to Jehoshaphat and they report it to him. They're saying, hey, there's a great multitude. We don't know how many people, but a great multitude seems to indicate a lot of people because it's multiple nations. Probably a ton of people are coming against you. So get ready. Now, they're in Hazazon Tamar, which was in Gedi, and this was very close to the Dead Sea. I believe if I looked at a map, uh, Bud McDonald actually gave me a little map that I could look at, and it seems that this was about 50, 50 or so miles away. All right, so it's not very far. This, this group of people are already in Jehoshaphat's country. He doesn't have weeks or months to prepare. They're getting pretty close. And if they continued on marching, it would just be a matter of, you know, days before they'd get there. And so imagine, he's like, well, this probably catches them off guard. We've got this huge multitude coming against us. What are we going to do? Well, we see an amazing response from Jehoshaphat. And so let's look at the response to the threat. Verses 3 and 4. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Notice, Jehoshaphat's afraid. He's scared. And I would be too. You've got this massive multitude and you've just been warned that they're coming up against you and they're pretty close. But what does he do? Jehoshaphat does the very best thing that any of us could do in times of trouble. He turned his attention to seek the Lord. That's the first thing he did. He didn't get his army commanders together and say, hey, what are we going to do, guys? Let's consult about this. Let's, let's draw up a battle plan. Let's think about this for a couple days. And no, no, none of that. He turned his attention to seek the Lord. That's the first place he went to. Didn't go to anybody else. He went straight to God. And that's the place we need to go. In times of trouble, yes. But at all times, we need to be going to God first. But he also proclaims a fast. And he's saying, hey, we need to get everybody involved here. We need to get more and more people calling out to God. And a fast was this, this time of, you know, they're abstaining from food to focus on God, to call upon God. And now many times it's a display of humility, of relying upon God instead of sustenance. And so they fast and they gather together and they're seeking God. 
by way of application, part of surrendering to God involves seeking Him first in all things. Absolutely in times of trouble, where do, where do we turn? Where do we turn first? Do we turn to other people? Do we look within ourselves and think we've got this? Or do we go to God first? And yes, again, in times of trouble, but at all times, who are we seeking first? And a surrendered life, a life that's been given over to God, seeks Him first. When times of trouble come, I'm going to God. That's where I'm going first. And in, in, in all things, because Jesus says, remember Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This just should be our way of life, is seeking God in all things. And that's what we see in Jehoshaphat, first and foremost. He's in trouble, but he turns right to God. What about you and me? What do we do? Do we turn to God first? Is he the first place that we turn to in all situations and, and in times of trouble? If not, we need to make him that, that go-to when we're in trouble, that go-to every day of our lives because we're going to find the help we need, and we're going to see this as we continue on here. Look at, uh, this also is a part of the response, but Jehoshaphat um, also, again, he asked others to go to God on their behalf, right? And so uh, a surrendered life also is going to get others involved, Right, it, it, it's, again, it's not that I'm just going to handle this on my own, but you know what? I'm going to get other people involved. And that's why we've got the church, folks, is that we can call on other people. And we could say, I need the prayers. I need help here. Let's all go to God together. And Jehoshaphat does that. And more, the more people are crying out to God, the more he's hearing those prayers, there's nothing better than the people going to God and so we need to rely on others too. Not just, not just do it on our own, but get others involved and, and get our brothers and sisters involved in going to God. That's part of the reason why God's given us one another is to be there for one another. And so Jehoshaphat's like, yes, I'm going to God, but I'm also going to proclaim a fast and everybody's going to get involved in this. We need to go to God collectively and, of course, individually. Now, continue on. Um, the response continues, but I wanted to highlight Jehoshaphat now starts praying. And so I want you guys to notice this prayer to, to God here. And we're going to look first in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 5 through 9. And then we'll continue on. Uh, we'll make some application. Then we'll continue on with the rest of the prayer after that. But look in verse 5. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord... The God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. Did you not, O oh our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give, give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? They have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us? the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry to you in our distress and you will hear and deliver us. What a great way to start out this prayer. He's standing before all the people and he, he just cries out to God. His prayer begins appropriately by drawing attention to God and what God has done. Did you notice that? 
that he recognizes God as the true God in the heavens. He recognizes God's rule over all the nations. He recognizes God's great power and might. And he recognizes God's power on behalf of his people, that he led them to the promised land. He was the one who fulfilled his promise to Abraham to give him that land. He was the one who drove out those nations and allowed Israel to have that land. And once they settled in that promised land, they eventually built that temple. And it seems that Jehoshaphat is recalling some of Solomon's words. When Solomon, uh, when the temple was built during Solomon's reign, Solomon dedicates the temple and he says this beautiful prayer. And he says, if we pray to this place, you will hear us, Lord. And that's kind of what he says here. Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house, the temple, and we'll cry before you and you will hear and deliver us. Jehoshaphat's, I mean, he's just calling out to God and he's, he's putting it all to God. He's trusting in his power. So a pa- application all, for, from this section, part of surrendering involves recognizing God's awesome power. Folks, God has done some amazing things. Just think about all the things that God has done in Scripture and then in your life. And a surrendered life recognizes all the amazing things that God has done and can do. God is an awesome God. And when we consider His power and how awesome He is and how amazing he can amazing things that he can do we realize just how small we are and how much in need we are of his help and so jehoshaphat he directs his prayer first to pointing to god's amazing power and all the things that god had done up to that point for them and we need to recognize that too that god is an awesome god and he's still doing great things today he's still a great god But also, part of surrendering also involves trusting that God can and will deliver you. Do you trust in God's power? Do you trust that God still can, that he does hear you, number one, and that he still answers those prayers? And that he can help you through whatever you're going through? Notice Jehoshaphat said, when we pray towards this house, you will hear us and you will deliver us. He's got supreme confidence. God, when we call out to you, you're going to hear Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is listening and that he can move and answer on your behalf and that he will deliver you? Listen, it may not happen in this life, but he's promised to give us a life beyond. And that's the greatest deliverance we'll ever have. But he does intervene so many times in our lives here. Do you believe that he can still do that, that his power is still at work? A surrendered life recognizes when I hand this over to God, he can, he can do it. And I trust in that. Do you trust in that this morning? Jehoshaphat seemed to. And he wanted the other people to trust in that as well. Let's continue on looking at this prayer of Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles 20, verses 10 to 13. He's continuing that prayer again. Now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. O our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. 
Ah, oh, man, this is just an amazing way, amazing display of faith, again, on the part of Jehoshaphat. But he, he starts by recalling the fact that when Israel left the, the, uh, Egypt and was headed towards the promised land, God did not allow them to attack these nations, the, the sons of Ammon and the sons of Moab, because really they were distant relatives. Uh, and, and I believe that Lot's descendants come into play here and things like that. And so God did not allow them to attack the, these people. And so Jehoshaphat's saying, hey, look how they're repaying us. We could have attacked them when we came out of Egypt, but we didn't because you didn't let us, God. And now they're coming out against us to attack us. Look how they're repaying us. Will you not judge them, God? But notice the end there. Jehoshaphat, number one, notices we're powerless before this great multitude. We, we can't, he's saying, in and of ourselves, we can't do this. In and of us as people, we're powerless. We, we've got nothing on this great multitude that's coming before us. And notice what he also says, nor do we know what to do. We, we don't know what to do, God. We, we don't know what plans we're supposed to implement. We, we've got, not got an idea here. But our eyes are on you. That's where we're going to focus. Because in and of ourselves, we're powerless. In and of ourselves, we don't know what to do. So the answer is, we're just going to turn to you, God. Because you do know what to do. You do have the power. And you can help us. What a great response. We don't know what to do. We, we're powerless. Well, we're fixing our eyes on you. By way of application here, number one, part of surrendering is realizing that some things are too big for you to handle on your own. Folks, some, th some things that we go through are just too big for us to bear on our own. We need other people, number one, but most importantly, we need God's intervention. And I know some people will say, well, hold on a second. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that God will never give us something that we can't handle. Well, it actually says that he won't, we're not going to be tempted beyond our uh, ability. That God will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability. So temptation, yes, we're never going to be tempted in a way that we can't handle it. But that doesn't mean that there's going to be some situations that we just we can't handle. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's, maybe it's multiple things piling on at one time. And if we try to hold it in and try to carry it all on our own, think we've got this handled, it's going to be really tough. Some things are, are too hard for us to bear on our own. And I can tell you, I know one thing for sure that's too hard for us to bury on our own, and it's our sins. There's no way without Jesus Christ that we could bear our sins on our own. We, we couldn't. We would fall under the weight but thank goodness Jesus came and he took those sins for us. We have to realize that without Jesus Christ coming and doing that, dying on our behalf, there's no way. There's no way that we could be free from sin. There's no way that we could handle it on our own. And again, there are certain other situations in life that we may go through. And we just need to realize we're powerless without you, God. We're powerless to do anything without you. And that's what a surrendered life realizes that I can't do this in and of myself. In and of myself, I'm powerless, but not for you, God. It's not, you're not powerless. And so sometimes we just have to realize that we can't do this on our own. We need other people, and most importantly, we need God. Secondly, part of surrendering is realizing that you don't have all the answers. Remember, Jehoshaphat said, nor do we know what to do. And sometimes we like to go through life thinking, I know what to do. I've got it handled. I've got it under control. 
Don't worry about it. I've got the answers. I can fix this. And then we end up making a bigger mess. Sometimes we have to understand, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn here. I don't know where to go. I don't have the answers in this situation. I'm kind of confused, God. What do I do? Sometimes we just have to realize we don't know it all. And that's pride coming in the way when we think we do know it all. and We think we can get through it all on our own. But the last point is the most important thing. Part of surrendering of all is fixing your eyes on the Lord. Remember what he says. We're powerless, God. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. That's where we've got to get to, folks, is the point where, listen, this is too big for me, God. I don't know what to do. But I'm just going to fix my eyes on you. I'm just going to direct my attention to you. And that reminds me of what the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Hebrews writer likens this life to a race. And if we want to get through this this race of life and win that crown, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the greatest example. He's the author and perfecter of faith. And we have to fix our eyes on him, direct our gaze towards him, not to things on this life, not to ourselves, but to him. And when you fix your eyes on Christ, when you fix your eyes on the one who makes it possible for us, To have salvation, that's how you can run this race with success. It's fixing your eyes on him. So that's what we got to get to, like Jehoshaphat. We don't know what to do. We're powerless, but our eyes are on you. We're relying on you, God. Are you there this morning? Let's let's look now at God's answer. This is the, Jehoshaphat's given this beautiful prayer, but then God answers this prayer through a man named Jehaziel. Look in verse 14. Then in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Madaniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Wow. What a great answer to that prayer. Remember, Josephat calls out all the people had gathered together to seek God, and God answers in a beautiful way. This man named Jehaziel, the Spirit comes upon him. He's a Levite, and, and he starts speaking the words, the Lord's words. And he's saying, listen, this battle belongs to God. All you need to do, all you need to do is go out and face them and watch what God's going to do. Watch what he's going to do for you tomorrow. You don't even have to fight in this battle, guys. All you've got to do is watch and see God's great salvation. And you know, we're not going to read this because we're going to, we don't have enough time this morning. But what ends up happening is God does deliver them. The people start fighting each other. The, their enemies start fighting each other and they start wiping each other out. So Israel just, ha- just sits back and watches what God does. 
And so they win this great victory like God said he would give them the victory. He comes true on that promise and he delivers them from their enemies in a great way. You can read that later in the chapter. So what an answer from the Lord that you don't even have to fight. I'm going to fight for you. So by way of application, part of surrendering is understanding that the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. And I know we've kind of mentioned this a little bit, but remember what Jehaziel said. The battle is God's. It's not yours. And here's the thing. A lot of times, we, again, we like to think, well, I can handle this, and I can get through this on my own, this, this battle, if you will. We have different battles that we face in this life, things that we go through, and we think we can handle this all on our own. We've got this. But we have to realize God's right there ready and willing to help. I love what 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Not holding on to a bit of it, saying, I'm throwing this to you, God, and I'm relying on you. The battle belongs to you, God, and I'm just going to watch you work. That's what God wants from us, is to go to him and take our cares and our worries to him and let it go. Let it go and let him handle it. He can can help us in so many ways if we will just surrender it over to him, surrender our cares. So many times we think the battle belongs to me. This is my battle. This is my fight. I've got to win. But God's saying, hey, I'm right here. I'm right here. Cast all your anxiety on me because I care for you. I want what's best for you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest, Jesus says. we got to be willing to go to him. Realize, folks, that God is on your side. The battle belongs to him if you will let him be a part of that battle for you. Now, notice also, part of, part of surrendering involves, involves following God's commands and watching him work. Following God's commands and watching him work. Now, why I want to point this out is because Jehaziel says, hey, you've got to go out and you've got to face these people. But all you have to do is watch God. Watch what God's going to do. They still had to go out and, and, and draw the battle lines and go out to meet the foreign armies. They couldn't just stay back and say, all right, well, God said he, he's, he's going to you know, do this for us, so we don't even have to go out. No, there was a command to march out against the foreign armies and to see God's salvation on their behalf. They actually had to go out and do that. And when they did, they saw this great deliverance from God. Here's the thing. A a surrendered life follows God's commands. What he says here in this scripture, even if it's the smallest thing, we try to follow it. We try to listen to it. And then we can just sit back and we can watch amazing things that God does. Not saying that everything's going to be perfect in this life. We're still going to have troubles. We're still going to slip. But we've got to try our best to keep God's commands. And then we can see just how great God can work in our lives. See all the great things that God is doing. When we surrender our lives to him, we're following him as closely as possible. And great things can happen. Again, does not mean life's going to be perfect. But it's the best way to live. And in the end, again, we're going to have that ultimate salvation through Jesus Christ. The final thing I want to to point to is notice how the people respond to the prayer. 
uh, when, when uh, the answered prayer, when Jehaziel answers that prayer on, uh, and God's, he speaks God's words, here's what the people do in uh, verses uh, 18 and 19. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and of the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. That's the only, I, I can't imagine a better response. That's the only response to, to have here in this situation that God's gonna deliver us without us even fighting. It's just to praise, just to praise God. They fall down and they worship and they're praising him with a loud voice. So by way of application, part of surrendering involves praising God for working in your life. We need to take some time, and I know we've kind of already mentioned this, but we need to take some time and just praise God for the things that he's done for us. Praise God for, for getting us to where we are. Praise God for delivering us from sin. Praise God for all the amazing things that he's blessed us with. And when we do that, we realize it's all because of God that I am where I am. And we need to take some time to praise God for the answers that he gives us to our prayers. Look back and thank him for what he's done for us. Like we sang that song a few minutes ago, for all that you've done, I will thank you. We need to be doing that. I want to ask you this question as we close out. Where would you be without the Lord? Where would you be without him? I start thinking about that sometimes in my life, and I, want, I have no clue where I would be. I would not be in this pulpit, I'll tell you that. I wouldn't have a lot of the relationships that I have. Where would we be without the Lord, without him in our lives? And I point to what uh, Psalm 124 David says this, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped a bird, as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is a psalm of David. And he realizes, had it not been for the Lord, we would have been swallowed by the enemy. We would have been engulfed by the waters. We would have been done for had it not been for God. But our help is in the name of the Lord. And because of him, we have escaped. Folks, without God, where would any of us be? And a surrendered life realizes that it's all because of God that I am where I am, that I am who I am today. And folks, it's all because of God that we're able to be freed from our sins. Had God not sent his son to die for you and me, had God not given him up to, to live a life on this earth and then die on Calvary on a, on a cruel cross, where would we be? We'd be stuck in our sins. We, we would have no shot at forgiveness. Had it not been the Lord, we cannot be delivered from our sins. But thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, that he did give his son, and that he continues to work on our behalf. He continues to bless us. And a surrendered life realizes, had it not been for the Lord, I would not be who I am today. I would not be a saved child. I would not be blessed as I am. Because it's all because of God that we're here today, this morning. It's all because of God that we can be saved and that we can be so blessed.
and his son. I hope you realize that this morning. And I hope that you will surrender your life to Christ every single day. If you've never done that initially in the waters of baptism, we want you to do that this morning. To give your life over to Christ. To start walking this surrendered life for the rest of your days. If you have surrendered your life in the waters of baptism, but you've walked away, there's no better time to, to surrender again right now. If you have any need, please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.